Hello, and welcome to Stasis Pod, the Beast Wars podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Jen. I'm Alex. And I'm David. And today, we are going with the flowing. <laughs> oh, why? Because today's episode is Go With The Flow. Okay. And there's no earthly <sighs> way of knowing. <laughs> and this is, yes, another Bob Forward episode. So, is this going to be a, like, really super good important episode, or is this going to be fart jokes? I'll take beh- I'll take what's behind door number two. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's closer to fart jokes, but not all the way at fart joke. I mean, it's no, kind of closer to. It seems like a leftover episode from another season. Mario yeah, Brothers, Mario Brothers Super Show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> leftover from He Man. Yes. I mean, the basic plot is Megatron is building a giant cannon. But it's the radiation involved is harmful to Transformers, so he needs a human, or proto-human in this case, to build it. You could have basically made this episode in 1985 with the other Megatron and, like, Spike. Yeah. Yeah. And Megatron and his like crazy mad scientist machines are just really it's like his thing this season. I mean yeah. Tarantulas is hanging out at the base again, so he's really rubbing off on Megatron. The bad guess. influence. Yeah, but yeah. it's like Me- Megatron did some things in the earlier seasons, but this season seems to be building giant mad science things, not just a little floating gun in placement or something. Yeah. Yes. It's like the other stuff that survived on the Golden Disc other than the Megatron recording. Was all of Megatron's archived? Well, I, we don't have the tech to do this now, but someday, <laughs> Mad Science plans. Rainy day, someday. Mad Science plans. After we've after we've made our giant purple griffin, we're going to move on to this weird spider thing. It's kind of a Mass Effect mass relay. Yeah, I, yeah. there, there is. We are going to get this later, but there is a cool effect when it fires. Oh yeah. But yeah, this is. I there. I mean, there are a couple episodes, Generation One, where Megatron big plot is building a giant cannon. That's that's accurate. That's um, fair. So there's fire on the mountain. Oh, that's fire. accurate and fair about any 80s cartoon. Also true. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, what are the, uh, Masquerade, I think the one where they have to... Yes, where they have to turn into the disguise themselves as the Stunticons. Yes. I, I think... Is there a giant cannon in Bot, too? Uh, no, I think it's really just about trying to get the Combaticons back in one piece. But there's definitely a device at the end, because that device has a button marked overload on it. Yeah. There's also a There is some here. kind of evil device in that episode. Uh, an evil device that is not the titular bot. Uh, yeah. An evil device? I thought the evil device was just like, I don't know, Brawl's brain or something. I mean, I think the evil device yeah. is that episode. Well, yeah. Which was successfully deployed on the Children of America. It's not a great episode. It's the worst. <laughs> All right, so... Anyway, speaking of small, annoying children, eight yep. babies. Yeah. Cheetor, Cheetor is sneaking through the uh, the undergrowth in beast mode. 
But uh, it's a fake out because uh, he is actually messing around with uh, the, the protohumans. And once again, we are back in Donkey Kong country here. Yeah. <laughs> did they like actually that. get names in the, their first episode? They did not. But no. now we know the girl is Una and the boy is Chak. Yes. Yay. We also and get electrical flickering from a cave and a reveal of flashlight bots. Flashlight, and they get a name in this episode. Uh, Retro calls them arachnoids. I guess they've got, I mean, they've got six legs, but I guess they do have some sort of forward limbs that could count as the eighth limb. Yeah. Rat Trap also treats them less like, oh, tarantulas is around here, this is important, and more as a sign of, oh, there are vermin here, I can squash them. Yeah, like, <laughs> you got a spray. Well, it, I mean, it's possible that tarantulas made so many that they're just like, Wandering around, carrying out their programming, unaware yes. that yeah, whatever they could, created They could be assuming they're like something. leftovers from previous bases they've destroyed. They're just out there and about. Mm-hmm. It's not unreasonable. Although that also must mean they're biodegradable. Otherwise, if there were that many, we would have found them and reverse engineered them by now. Yes. <laughs> they break down. They just very carefully picked up all of them. Yes. They rust really quickly. Who knows? But this is, um, I forget. Which... That or uh, maybe Sector 7 got them. You know, uh, John Turturro's just got a big box of them in his office. Ooh. Um, the the little proto humans. Uh huh. One of them, I forget which one, says the very first recorded human speech word, and it's Cheetor. <laughs> <laughs> Can we mark that off as Cheetor doing something stupid today? Yes. <laughs> Epically stupid. Maybe destroying time here, Cheetor. Taught them some words, but the first one we hear is Cheetor, because they they don't seem to be able to form sentences, but they're good with nouns. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're picking up on nouns. And Cheetor defends them as smart when Rattrap is skeptical of their intelligence, but... Aw, well, he's Cheetor. Yeah, so it doesn't mean that much coming from him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Rattrap is all W.C. Fields with these kids. (laughs) Yes. Meanwhile, Cheetor's got, like, a chalkboard set up, and he's, like, teaching them, I don't know, Cybertronian text or something. No, he, he's, and he's also teaching he, them he's simple machines. He's teaching them lesson on basic yeah. simple machines, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, this suddenly well, turned into too. an episode of Crow. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Cheetor and I, the science guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he's more like, uh, it's more like Beekman's World, because he's got yeah. a giant rat trap, he's got a giant rat sidekick. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's kind of ridiculous, whereas, you know, at least Bill Nye was respectable. Oh, yeah. I've never actually seen Beekman's World. Oh, man. Um, I think I saw a couple episodes I didn't really like it because it had a giant rat, and rats are kind of disgusting. Anyway, speaking of Rat Trap, Rat Trap's entrance is pretty good because he refers to Optimus Primal as Pop Op, <laughs> and then he proceeds to sit on a log by way of the Riker maneuver. <laughs> can never go wrong with the Riker maneuver. Nope. Well, you can if the back of the chair you're trying to sit in is too high. high. Yes. I guess so. It was a log, so there was no back of the chair. He just <laughs> swings his legs. Successfully used the Riker maneuver. Yeah, so he teaches these kids uh, what a lever is, and then he tries to teach them about pulleys, but his pulley breaks and falls on his foot, and he comically hops around, which and I don't they- think was supposed to be part of the lesson. They well, they do learn the most important lesson of all, which is Cheetor hurting himself is hilarious. <laughs> this is true. 
It is the universal language. Uh, meanwhile, inside a mountain, evil science is happening. Quick yes. Strike still exists. Quick Strike is there. Yes. Once again, yeah. doing the grunt work. Well, yeah. Make the littlest guy carry things around. Well, I mean, he's the one who's working on the barrel of the gun because if it actually goes off, if it accidentally goes off, well, we just have to get a new Quick Strike. <laughs> yeah, the, the rest of the Predacons are assembling bits of a machine, and, and in my head is like that that old Warner Brothers factory music. You think they'd uh, want to use Waspinator in that position rather than a Quick Strike? Because they have spare Waspinator. Well, that's true. That's <laughs> true. Uh, yeah, so this it's a it's a giant cannon. It's gonna be they're gonna fire it at the Ark because even though the Ark is protected by Teletran One, they can fire this, which will destroy the Maximals, and thus they can destroy the Ark at their leisure. Yes, basically the Maximals part is not as well guarded as the Ark. So, mm. but unfortunately, due to this bipolar energon source, which what? Sure. I mean, we see there are two chunks of energon, so I guess that's the bipolar as. Opposed to the energon source that just can't get out of bed sometimes. Yes, but it's calling it bipolar energon is weird unless it's like alternating between polarities. It's it's just basic mad science, which is yeah, I mean, it's energon normally DC, and this is their air AC form. I guess so. Maybe. Oh well, should they test it out on an elephant first? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Ironhide isn't on the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's a shame this isn't Beast Wars second. Yes. <laughs> this, thing, this thing is a disruptor cannon, by the way. And so anyway, sure yeah, they, this thing keeps leaking crazy energy at, that is d- damaging to all Transformers, so they can't finish this thing. So therefore, Tarantulas, who is now just palling around with Megatron, uh, he suggests, you know, we need some uh, some humans, and thanks to his flashlight bugs, uh, there, are some, there are some that uh, have some book learning. <laughs> So we'll take those ones. See, that's yeah. Cheetor has extra failed this time because he's actually made things easier for the Predacons. Yeah, he's yes. turned them into targets. Although, to be fair, Tarantula's kidnapping children is probably the least creepy plot he's had. This is true. Yeah, well, that's just yeah. phase one. Yeah, we're going to see <laughs> phase two later in this episode, and it's unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But of course, he doesn't kidnap them. They they send the flyers to do the dirty work. Yes, and uh, they successfully do. Cheetor is pretty ineffectual. Yeah, that's a blanket statement. And even when Tuxedo Manta shows up, <laughs> yeah, I, I assume he throws like a fish that embeds itself in the ground. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's another rare moment of Waspinator actually being completely competent. He manages to kidnap Una. Yes, also when is looking. <laughs> When when he shows up, what he actually does, what he actually throws is his pizzas, so his power pizzas. Well, it's not so much up. throwing as is he spits them out. There's actually a mouth animation of him spitting them individually. Yes, he's he's spitting them from his manta mouth at everyone. <laughs> it's so, kind of gross. It's a thing. His yeah. manta mouth is so weird. Yeah, it's as weird as his. That's his robot mode mouth. Yeah. But wider and more prominent. Yes. Uh, uh, it's not great. <laughs> no. So yeah, they, they, they take off with uh they take off with Una. 
Uh, I will note that Una is still, once again, Susan Blue. Yes. Yay. Yay. And uh, so, yeah, Cheetor gets called home to get repaired, and Death Charge, despite wanting to uh, get out of Dodge, gets press-ganged by uh, Rattrap into helping them out for once. Yeah, he forces uh-huh. him to go be the, his rides by saying, you going to talk or you going to rock? Yes. <laughs> also grabs he, he, onto Depth Charge in just the weirdest way possible. In, in like yeah, his, uh, his Manta mouth parts, which yeah. that's got to hurt. His little yeah. It's got to hurt, and you can't really get that great of a grip on that. Oh. And also, you could have grabbed both of them and had it be less painful and better grip. Yeah. Yes. There are a lot of reasons why it is not ideal. Mm. Uh, anyway, en route to Giant Cannon Mountain, uh, Una is remembering that uh, Cheetor did teach him a little self-defense, and part of that was to attack a Transformer at the joints. And so, you know, she's got she's got a little, like, a little prison shiv here. <laughs> yeah, it's a little tool that Cheetor made for her by t- tying a stick to a rock. And yes. note that nothing comes of this, but she's doing this while they're in midair. <laughs> yeah, she's just hacking his bug legs off, and they're the coming legs, apart. The bug legs that he's using to hold on to her. Yes. Yeah. Well, he's got six, and she manages to chop off like two and a half. Well, and he, he even kind of has to roll over, so she's sort of riding him more. Yes, toward yes. the end. Yep. And what's I mean, calls into Megatron to panic about that, and Megatron <laughs> just dismisses it. Oh, yeah, that's normal. Yeah, yeah, because you getting dismembered is normal. He says, yep. Megatron wonders, is there a problem? And Waspinator's like, no, she is injuring Waspinator. I'm not injuring her. And it's like, ah, oh, the situation is normal then, yeah. <laughs> Washing, Waspinator wants a renegotiate contract. <laughs> I mean, Scott McNeil may want to renegotiate his. He, he's half the characters in this episode. <laughs> Why would he want to renegotiate that? He got four paychecks. That's yeah. Also, Waspinator refers to Una as Fleshbot, which in the year 2016 <laughs> has worse implications than it did in 1999. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a website. Nobody Google that. Oh, oh I didn't. Oh. Just don't. It's for the best. Let's just focus on Waspinator being adorable and torn apart. Yes. Yeah, so he gets back, he drops her off safe and sound, and then immediately collapses. <laughs> he transforms, salutes, it just falls to pieces. Poor guy. And once again probably has to put himself back together, because nobody else is going to do it. Nobody else is doing that. They're all busy building this giant cannon. He's got to drag himself off to the CR chamber. Which is nowhere near here, apparently. Yeah. <sighs> Poor guy. Yeah. So now that now that she's there with the Maximals in hot pursuit, Megatron orders uh, a test firing, which Transmus is not so sure about, but they do anyway. <laughs> and so it it's kind of this it kind of produces like a jagged energy beam. Super cool looking. It looks yeah. super cool. It also, be- Tarantulas gets to be really super Tarantulas while he's protesting this. It's just like this great just. Very close-up headshot of him. Like the whole thing could blow. Making a bunch of tarantulas noises. Yes, he's he's very. He, you know, that's like Alec Willows. He he's got like five lines in this, and he's gonna make them all count. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, he earns his paycheck on this one. He's not gonna let Scott McNeil show him up. No. Yeah, the, the bipolar energy beam kind of reminded me of like Dark Side's eye beams. 
Yeah, it is kind of like the oh, uh, yeah. the Omega, Omega effect. effect. Yeah. They, they go forward and just zigzag and it's mm. neat. Yes. And so they, they have to shut it down before it can destroy them, but it does zap the Maximals enough that they crash. Death Judge crash lands so hard he transforms in the process. Yes. <laughs> That's like in More Than Meets the Eye when they all have to jump up and down on top of uh, Ultra Magnus to get him to transform. Yeah, because the beam hits him and he says that like he was out of fuel so they have to crash land, but Rattrap's complaining, why can't you glide down? Which might be possible if he converted fully to Manta form instead of his spaceship form. Could have glided. I mean, even nope. that is dubious because, I mean, that Manta mode is giant and made of metal. Well, y- yes, but it's a little bit more surface area. It might have been able to control the landing instead of getting embedded into a giant tree. And yes. it, just smoke billowing out of them and... When they first cut to Rat Trap and him on the ground, there's a little puff that comes out of Rat Trap's ass. Ah, uh, yes. Just a little fart. <laughs> it's it's one of those Bob Forward episodes. Well, it, it's a nice subtle. You you blink and you miss it gag though. Yeah. It, the dynamic between Rat Trap and Death Charge is really nice too. Hmm. I mean, it is sort of similar like, to the the Rat Trap Dinobot dynamic. Oh, I miss that dynamic. Yeah. Oh, only, like, Depth Charge isn't having any of it, but Rat Trap keeps getting the upper hand. And Rat Trap doesn't have any genuine menace toward Depth Charge. No. no. He just doesn't like him. I don't even think he doesn't like him. I think he just like needling him. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, Depth Charge is legitimately a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah. I ain't dead. Well, this day is <laughs> full of disappointments. <laughs> <laughs> Depth Charge is so mean, he even hates the proverbial butterfly. Yeah, so Rat Trap takes off without <laughs> Depth Charge, who is immobile. So, yeah, this uh, the, the metaphorical butterfly lands on Depth Charge's chest, and he's all, what are you looking at? <laughs> and thus, miraculously, the metaphorical butterfly has survived two members of the Maximal team that probably wanted to kill it. Yes. Jerks. All right, so, um, meanwhile, back at this uh, cannon... Megatron is somewhat unsuccessfully trying to tell Una how to uh, how to build this shielding. Somewhat <laughs> unsuccessfully? It's, his instructions are very mediocre at electrical engineering, but somehow she does manage to put all the plating on the back of the giant gun. Yeah. Megatron yes. reminds Badly. me of why I don't want to have kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'd... put it, put it there. Put, nope, no, not put, on your put, head. Put, no, no, put no. it on on the wall with the wrench. Use the, the That's wrench. not a wrench. The wrench. It's a bone. The wrench. Pick up the wrench. The wrench. Yes, that. That. Turn. Turn. Like turn when I'm doing tech support. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. That that kind of worked. You hammered the the nuts down. Fine. It's it, there. It, Try the next. It one. is excellent voice acting <laughs> from David K. <Kay. laughs> I feel like you could sum up this episode and perhaps this entire series as. Megatron would have been successful if he'd obeyed the old Hollywood axiom, never work with animals or children. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, he is an animal. Yes. He's a dinosaur. (laughs) It's like, if he doesn't work with animals or children, he doesn't work with anyone. (laughs) This whole whole team is animals. (laughs) Although he might have been better off without most of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a note here, and I'm trying to remember what the context was. But in chronological order, it's the right place for it. Tarantulas is uncharacteristically genre unsavvy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
he doesn't know that the machine is gonna. Yeah, he's he's just all about his machine at this point. Yes. Oh right, that that's after things after the machine is fixed enough, and and Una has plugged in all the parts and put in the little magical which is, what's his chip. Uh, yes. Uh, although inexplicably, she also came with a bone from somewhere. <laughs> maybe it was in the Why cave. Not? Yeah. Like maybe Do proto humans have access to hammer space because she pulled. That tool Cheetor gave her out of nowhere, too. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's either that or Tarantulas ate something before uh, she got in here. <laughs> that is in- entirely possible. And It's at this point that, like, Megatron says he doesn't need her anymore, so Tarantulas deal with her. Oh, and he he's making all sorts of Tarantulas noises and doing things with his hands. As he's menacingly walking toward this little proto-human who's standing up on a platform. In front of a giant, well, it kind of looks like an air, uh, building air conditioner. It looks like an air conditioner. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. believe they said it was like a air conduit or something like that. Yeah. Or the, the oh, that was part of the um, insulation. Some, the, the, it had to do with the, the little chip that Megatron had her put in. Mm. But she uses lever to knock, <laughs> to lever it over onto tarantulas, which is probably the point where you were saying he's genre unsavvy. You're going to get squished again, tarantulas. No, it was before that. It was also before uh, Rat Trap showing up. Oh. As Rat Trap shows up, gets the oh, drop right, on Megatron, right. and then chooses to wisecrack instead of open fire. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so, of course, he Dinobot gets gunshot in his hands. Yeah, good job. And then also Dinobot 2 is after him. Yep. Seems like it should have lots of feels and baggage, but, you know, we won't well, go there. We will get to... We uh, will go there later yeah. in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Or rather, not this episode, but the episode that it almost was. Oh, yeah. Ha! Dun, dun, dun. And now for a commercial break, Una falls off a platform. Yes. 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 Una is still falling off a platform. Faller. Yes. Falling right into the camera with her creepy monkey face screaming. Just weird bug eyes that don't have nearly enough pixels. (sighs) It's not great. Come back from commercial. Rat Trap catches her. Yes, he yeah. catches her to the tune of Silverbolt's heroic horn music. He earned Silverbolt's heroic horn music. Yes. I guess, that but is... is that the first time someone else has used that theme? I think so. Maybe. I'm trying to remember if it ever showed up before Silverbolt did. I think it's definitely new to Silverbolt. See, so yeah, Rat Trap just gets out of dodge. Yep, he catches her. They they take off. They get back to Death Charge. Uh, once again, Una gets Death Charge out of the kind of hole that he's in with a, a lever. You know. Yep. And then and they surf down the hill. Yeah, they and they, they slide him into the water, and uh, it's time for them to go with the flow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Una, Soil, ah, Una Sawyer and Huckleberry Rat just floating down the river. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Death Charge still has no power, but they do have paddles. Yeah. Yep. He's got his tail, and she's got a stick. Wait, uh, who is it that says where they are? Is it Dinobot 2 that says they're in Grid Tuna? Uh, Grid Juna, I believe, who oh. was a person on ATT, I think. Okay, I, yes. just, I just heard Grid Tuna, and it's like, wait, is he going <laughs> to eat Depth Charge? I mean, he probably would. Yeah. That would be funny, though, if they had a Grid Tuna that they mentioned. But no, I think, Jen, you can probably explain to us who uh, Juna <sighs> is. The name is familiar. I can confirm that it is an ATT person, uh, but currently slips my mind as to any significant yeah, the, the episode, details. 
the notes on the wiki say uh, Juna I Palast, who's uh, mm-hmm. Finnish. Oh yeah. And actually, that that same fan is involved with the uh, the sordid tale we will uh, relate later. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so it's appropriate. Yeah. So yeah, they get him into the water. Thanks again to more uh, educational content. Uh, Waspinger gets a face full of mud, crashes into Inferno, and they land on Dinobot. Yeah. Oh, and there's there's is, oh, sorry. There's a proverbial water. Uh, not proverbial. The, the we're back to the waterfalls. Of course, the, yes, you're down yeah, a river. There's, there's going to be a waterfall. waterfall. The the effect on the waterfall looks it's really good, but it's also really weird. And that it almost looks like it's hand drawn. Like the, the way the edges yeah. ruffle, it's really, really well it's, done, and I can't exactly figure out how they did it. It's interesting. Yeah. I'm trying to go back here now to... Oh, we did see they actually have some ability to do a water simulation with uh, that reflection of Black Rachnia's face in the water in the previous episode. Yeah, but... Oh, right. And yeah. while this is white water, so they don't have to make it reflective, they still do have the ability to make it ripple like that. Yeah, the, the, just the, the ripples and the spikes in it just... Like, at least for a few frames, it really looked like they'd have been hand-drawn, and it looked great. Yeah, it's... They have finally gone well past the minimum acceptable level of water depiction in this show and gotten to the point where, yeah, you can defend that as a stylistic choice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, surprise waterfall, but they get out of it and take out the Predacons, but unfortunately this cannon is now ready to fire. Quick Strike has a line! Yes. It's a <laughs> yes. completely throwaway line that really anybody could say. I don't even remember what it was. I didn't note it. It's just but the important thing anything. is Quick Strike says it. Yeah. Yes, the important thing is yeah. his voice actor gets a paycheck. <laughs> yes. Yay. And as the beam is going off, Rat Trap, in the darkest part of the episode... Oh, yeah, this is great. ...tells Una that she'd better bail because the ray won't hurt you, but our exploding bodies might. Ooh. <laughs> Yeah, that that is legitimately that, that's a legitimately upsetting little line there. Yeah. Don't mind our exploding corpses. Don't get hit by the shrapnel when our bodies all explode and we die. Yes. Yeah, because previously when when the machine was fired the first time, like it shoots out like leftover energy at any of the Predacons that were in the base, which is why they need the shielding. Even with the mm-hmm. shielding that Una had put on, it's still backfires a little bit, electrocutes Megatron and everybody else in the base, but it went through Una, and all it did was tickle her. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But luckily, the... there's no way that's OSHA compliant. Oh, man, it's like rebirth all over again. Oh, yeah, the plasma energy chamber. Stay tuned for that one, kids. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. But anyway, luckily for the Maximals and, you know, the, the future of humanity, uh, this kid's a bit of a klepto. Yeah, because yep. that uh, that stabilizing crystal, uh, she stole it. Yes. Well, it's a shiny thing. Very shiny. It's very shiny. Yeah, like it's a shiny thing. My notes right here are: the hair clip is invented, comma the Predacons explode. Yes, <laughs> she puts it in her hair. Yeah. Where was she keeping it until now? Well, she does uh, have a little skirt. It it makes more sense. She could have tucked that in her skirt as opposed to the bone or the bludgeoning tool. <laughs> True. Yeah, and it's smaller. And also, back in the sequence where she was supposed to be putting it in, she clearly did not actually put it into the thing. No, that, no. that is a... That's a, a really good shot, because we, we see her arm moving, but then when Meg, it comes back to Megatron, and then it goes back to her, and when she's closing the lid on the top of it, you see it's definitely not there. Mm-hmm. 
But Megatron doesn't get to see that angle. Yes. No. Instead, Megatron is treated to this really cool POV shot of uh, electrical feedback traveling along a wire. Yes. Yeah. Well, Megatron, I think in this entire episode, he spends in this chair that's on a giant gimbal arm, like swinging him around their little uh, cave base where they built the gun. He doesn't touch the ground once. No. <laughs> Although maybe maybe it's built out of leftovers from the chair he had in the Jiffy Pop. Maybe this is possible. Because that was, ju- was... He's like, I like that chair. Yeah. Oh, maybe he just missed the chair and wanted to recreate it. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I guess it's kind of like the chair he has back at the the dark side. He, he likes to sit in chairs that that suspend him in the air where he doesn't have to touch the ground. Yeah. Yes, he's too good for that. <laughs> And then our protagonists get to jump from an explosion in slow motion. <laughs> yep. It's uh, eerily predating the uh, involvement of Michael Bay in this franchise. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's happened like at least half a dozen times. Usually to the maximals. Uh, I think this is like the fourth time Rat Trap's done it. Yeah. And uh, now it's just time for them to sail off into the sunset. But of course, Rat Trap gets one last wisecrack in and gets smacked in the head by uh, Death Charge's tail. He also holds depth charge at gunpoint. Also that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, lesson of the episode. Sleep Megatron there. shouldn't have used non-union labor. <laughs> yes. And also stealing was... is good. Yes. There was one thing that I, I forgot to mention when we were at that point. But uh, but when Cheetor is trying to teach the kids uh, at, at one point when uh, he's standing there and Chalk sees, like, Waspinator in the air behind Cheetor and he starts like making shooting noises with his gun and, and Cheetor makes some comment about how we're trying to stick with positive programming here. Like, wait a minute. Is this a critique of violent children's programs? <laughs> violent children's programs? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We, uh, are we, are we going there? Apparently we're going I mean, there. I mean, this is a little edutainment-y with all the, uh, the lever talk. Yeah, it's true. Oh, it's true. and Una also, uh, Turns around and uses the nice non-violent tool Cheetor made her to uh, stab someone's limbs off. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, when when they're in that situation, it can be important. Well, self-defense with levers, yeah, it's important. And so, if this episode seems, you know, a little a little basic, a little sort of by the numbers, it might be because they kind of had to come up with it in a hurry. Oh. Yeah. Because this episode was not initially planned to be in. Uh, in season three, as prior to this, uh, the episode Dark Glass uh, had been written by uh, Christy Marks, who also wrote uh, Transmutate and wrote a whole lot of Gem and the Holograms. I, I would like to note that Dark Glass is one of those pair of words that anyone around in the fandom during Beast Wars just immediately you start rolling your eyes and going, oh, no, not this. <laughs> yes. There was so much talk about it, so much BS going back and forth, so many people claiming to know things they didn't know, and people just, it was, it was ridiculous. It became one of, like I said, one of those things where as soon as it comes up, you're just like, more of this again. So, but... (laughs) What is this again? Because I have no idea what this is. About the dark glass. Okay, so, uh... In, in 1999, uh, Transformers fan Juna Palast posted to All Toys Transformers a brief summary of the plot, which had apparently been related to him by Larry Dottilio. And it was about... Ra- 
Oh, we I, have mentioned Larry Dottilio's relationship to the truth, but man I, loves I, a good I, yarn. I will let that slide yeah. here because I mean, some I, of it I, I'm willing to believe this because it does seem that weird that he would come up with this out of you know out of nowhere. And this episode title did show up in early episode lists. Yes, also it was corroborated by other people. Right. So as as opposed to the whole thing about Transmetal Two Sparks being some kind of like virtual pet thing and that's why they bought tiger electronics yes <laughs> anyway i will let yeah. you continue yeah so rat trap salvaged uh, some of the axelon's computers and it had dinobot's core consciousness on it uh because remember there's a bit in bad spark that's never followed up on where dinobot uploads something into the maximum computers oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. so rat trap you know wants to upload this into dinobot 2 you know, and Rhinox tells him that, you know, this isn't going to work because the core consciousness is just like, you know, person's memories and everything. It's not their, it's not their spark. It's not their soul. Mm-hmm. And so it might just give, you know, that, the, the new Dinobot all of, you know, a bunch of confidential knowledge about the Maximals, which would be bad. But Rat Trap, you know, really wants to bring his friend back. And so he does this and he installs this core consciousness into Dinobot 2. And so he's kind, he's kind of back. But he has to constantly struggle for control with the new Dinobot. And so he tries to, you know, you know, Dinobot 1 knows that he's, you know, he's not going to make it. So he tries to infiltrate the Predacons and then take up Megatron. But it doesn't work, and Dinobot 2 regains control of his body. And so Rattrap accepts that Dinobot 1 is truly dead and that he just has to honor his memory. Oh, that's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, it, I can see that as an episode, but uh, apparently Claster, the uh, series distributor, had rejected the episode because the story didn't have enough action. Yeah, I mean, it's ultimately it's it's a kid's show, and it needs to have people punching in it. Yes. Instead of the boring parts of Star Trek through the search for Spock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Earth. Earth is planet forbidden. Loud is not... Um, it would have been really nice to have some more emotional conclusion on this and explanation of something to come down the line. Spoilers. Really yes. more? I mean, Dinobot had such a good send-off. Bringing him back, e- even as a tease, would have been kind of annoying, I'd think. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, just... I don't even know they needed it to succeed, but, like, the idea of seeing Rat Trap dealing with that... Yeah, Rat Trap nice dealing with it, but, but actually uploading it and it sort of working to bring back Dinobot 1, when we already have Dinobot 2, who's annoyingly close enough to Dinobot yeah. 1. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the, mean, I, I think something dealing with the whole, I guess, loss process. I mean, I... Again, I'm going to bring up more than meets the eye again, but I think that one of the things that that's really been revolutionary about in Transformers stories is having characters show those emotional bonds. Uh, but on the other hand, more than meets the eye is a comic book that is clearly accepts that it's pitched to an older audience, whereas yeah. this is a kid's action cartoon. Yeah. Yes. It, it and, may aspire to greatness, but ultimately it's still got to follow those rules. Think, and sometimes yeah. those rules are no touchy-feely moments. Yes. It doesn't think kids are idiots, but it is realistic about kids' attention span and interests. Mm-hmm. Yes. But th- there is another twist to this tale. Enter Dennis Barger. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. I'm looking at that quote of his on the wiki page about it, and I just – I remember it, 
I had like forgotten it, but I remember it now and I just roll my eyes and I'm like, oh no, this again. All right, so Dennis Barger, uh, he's, he's, you know, he's a toy dealer, comics dealer. He ran, uh, BotCon 1996. Yeah. Uh, which was he, a bit of a fiasco. It, he was, he was someone who was obviously very, th- this is sort of a, a divide that you get in the fandom sometimes and especially in the earlier days. And it's a divide that people do not necessarily need to fall on one side of or the other, but some people do. Uh, and that divide is the divide between an interest in the fiction and an interest in the toys. Uh, like I said, most people are, are sort of in between, but you have people who go a lot more towards one or the other. And Dennis Barger is very much a toy person. Uh, and he ran his convention as someone who was very much a toy person. Uh, the stuff having to do with any of the fan community stuff, the stuff having to do with, you know, I I was on a panel at one point. Uh, there was a fan media panel, and at the time I had a fanzine, and Tony Preto, who was at, at a table, you know, running his dealer table right near where uh, the, the panels were basically held in, like, the other half of the ballroom. Oh. So half of the ballroom was all the dealer tables, and the other half was the panel room. And he had his table on the corner there, and we couldn't find Dennis Barger to actually come up and introduce our panel like he was supposed to. So Tony just came up and introduced our panel. Uh, there was a big event that was supposed to be showing Transformers the movie, and this was a point where it was pretty much out of print, so that was a pretty big deal. And it did not go well. <laughs> uh, there, I know there was a point where basically a lot of us just made our own evening activities by dragging a TV like up on one of those big stands, like you would remember from like your high school classes if you were in school in the nineties. Oh, sure. Wait, a, a giant CRTV on a cart? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just on a cart with a VCR, and uh, I I personally pulled out a uh, a VHS tape I had that had a handful of Japanese Headmasters episode, one Shining Miraculous dubbed Headmasters episode, which is the now legendary Life Can Be Sacrificed for Peace on Earth, and a handful of uh, English dubbed Victory episodes, and and everybody watched that. Uh, Somebody brought out another EHS tape that had a bunch of, like, I, I don't think it was full episodes of Brave shows, but a lot of, like, trailers and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, uh, he wasn't real interested in running anything but the toy side of the convention. Uh, the next year in 97, he really wanted to run it again. Uh, and actually, 96 had been so bad that 97 was the year that basically BotCon had to grow up. It had to be good enough to prove to Hasbro that it could be an officially sanctioned event and not be something they should probably think about shutting down. Uh, and that was a lot of why uh, Glenn Hallett brought in Vince DiCola. That 97 was the year that I like to call it the first year we had real guests. And <laughs> the, the first year panels were not like me. And uh, that was in part because of how badly Dennis Barger ran 
BotCon 96. And because he decided he wanted to run something in 97, but the Hartmans wouldn't let him run BotCon, so he decided to run his own thing into the ground. Uh, and that uh, ties in a little bit with what what he did involving Dark Glass, because that was something that he was going to do to tie in to one of his TransCon 3, uh, which these days with a little more visibility for certain communities would probably be taken as something very different. Well, it's, it's, I, I can't entirely fault that as a convention name, because I went to a few conventions in Chicago called uh, G-Con? Un- until we found out that there actually was a gay and lesbian convention called G-Con. So the Godzilla convention got its name changed to G-Fest. Yeah, I mean, so it's... mistakes happen. Back in those days, there was less visibility for these things. Yes. Uh, so, so yeah. So that ties into our story here, which is when he decided he wanted to try to appeal to the fiction side of the fandom. Uh Rob, if you want to yeah. continue uh, so here. I guess he, I guess, acquired a copy of the script from Dark Glass from Christy Marks, and then he planned to auction off the original uh, for charity, and then distribute reproductions to all attendees. And this is this uh, convention was supposed to happen in September of '98, uh, whereas season three would not premiere until the following month. So this, you know, these people would be even spoilers for, you know, most of season three. Oh. But he was going to have all all the attendees, which sounds like a big deal. But we're okay. It's it's not quite this bad. But my my uh, knee jerk asshole reaction is to say both the attendees. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, he, he wanted to have all of them sign non disclosure agreements so that there wouldn't be spoilers just tossed about on the interwebs. Yes. So he. Uh... But apparently he didn't either did bother or couldn't get the proper approvals from Hasbro and or Mainframe, and the whole thing just didn't happen. So the script went back to Christy Marks, and because of this whole fiasco, Mainframe decided that they were never going to release their scripts to the public again. And oh. so, for instance, you can find the scripts for the Season 1 and 2 Beast Wars episodes on Ben Yee's website. Uh, you could then, and you presumably they're still there. Uh, but they never put up the ones for Season 3 or for Beast Machines due to this yeah. whole incident. <laughs> the quote, I, I want to read this quote from Dennis Barger, something he posted to Alt Toys Transformers uh, in August 31st, 1998, that is on the wiki. It says, now if I get a thousand different emails saying that this script should not be given out because a few paranoid fans don't want their lives unraveled, then I will burn it and never talk about it again and tell Christy you think her work is trash and she should stop writing professionally. <laughs> This Dennis, is a professional man here. <laughs> Dennis Farger is not a man blessed with what we like to call tact. What? No. <laughs> no, not not everyone is cut out to run a, a convention. Like it's yeah. only certain few are are good enough to do it multiple times without being mad or going mad. Or I mean, there are two kinds of people. There is one kind of person who will put out a cake to celebrate uh, uh, the tenth anniversary of Transformers the movie. And there's another class of person who will put out that cake and also give people forks. <laughs> Dennis Barger is the first kind of person. Yes. Yes. So good yeah, ideas without the, all the planning. The big okay. movie event was that there was a cake, but there were not actually forks. Oh, oh man, that's, that's Dennis such a... Barger makes Brian Savage look like a Hartman. Yeah, yeah. These are these are the days. I mean, say we will, yeah. but that man is giving you forks with your cake. 
<laughs> yeah. No more forks with your seafood, Louie. Yeah. And also, we didn't even mention that BotCon 1996 was inexplicably Pulp Fiction themed. Yeah, because he just really liked Pulp Fiction. Because uh, he thought it was super cool. It was the 90s, <laughs> I, I guess. It wasn't that so. cool then. It was, it was reaching. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy that movie, but... Well, to be perfectly honest, wasn't wasn't one of the more recent uh, botcons actually Guardians of the Galaxy themed because they liked the movie? Think, well, in a yeah. way, in, in yeah. the, the there was it was the um the one with the uh, what do you call it the, the Axiom Nexus thing where the, they, like Cybertron's most wanted or whatever. Yeah, where, where Trent and Cipher had written most of a story or the beginning of a story, and and then they changed it to a prison break or something, and they wanted their names taken off of it. Yeah, they weren't thrilled. Yeah, so making a BotCon movie themed, it's gonna happen again. I would like to note that the, the wiki page on BotCon 96 is excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Strongly. And I still have the t-shirt from it with that really, really crappy program RC, art. Uma Thurman RC. In, in gold ink. Not oh, even well drawn. Uma oh, I Thurman. have seen like, that. That's... If, if, you're thinking oh. of, like, a good drawing of R.C. and that Uma Thurman pose from the Pulp Fiction posters? Don't think that. It's, it's, Dennis Barger probably drew this himself. Oh. It's not good. I could poop out better. Oh, no, it says here, art by Robert Bowman. Oh, yeah. Probably for free. Wait, Rob Bowman? That sounds familiar. Oh, he, uh, he directed that uh, X-Files movie. It's probably a different Rob Bowman. <laughs> Wait, was it was it the first X Files movie or the second one? No, he directed the first one, X Files: Fight the Future. He also directed Reign of Fire, which is about Christian Bale and Matthew McConaughey versus dragons. Okay, I so I guess Reign that makes Fire. up for for the the X Files movie. I mean, Reign of Fire. Uh, no, 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 is not no, no because movie. his next movie was Electra. <laughs> oh yeah, so he doesn't even get a pass for that. <sighs> so anyway. I may have taken a date to at one point. <laughs> oh. Oh, the schedule does mention the Saturday fanzine panel, which which I was on, and there's a picture of me floating around out there looking extremely pale, wearing a great purple hat. <laughs> uh, oh. So, yeah, the so we, we got an episode that could have been interesting, but seems like it maybe had a fatal flaw. Yeah. And instead we got an episode that was fun. Yeah. I think it's an episode that probably could have been made as part of the series if it was made today. Yeah. yeah. I think that kind of cartoon show... I mean, for one thing, we don't really have syndication the way they used to. No. Plaster was concerned about syndicating this to, you know, the people, Channel 50 in D.C. in my case, who Star just Star 64. Want, yeah, want to load up a bunch of... a block of TV with kids' shows, because Reagan said those count as educational programming. <laughs> Much as uh, ketchup counts as a vegetable. Yeah. And so uh, so I think that given the current environment, like an episode with this sort of depth and lack of punching would not necessarily be out of place in Transformers Prime. Yeah. But I think at that time there was still a very different... The, the idea of what that kind of show should be had not matured to the way it has now. No. Then again, the fact that Prime had those kind of episodes was why they felt a need to 
sort of backtrack a little bit to to robots in disguise. Yeah. Because they decided that was a little too much. Yeah. You know, it's skewing a little too old. We want to sell some toys. We want everybody to have some fun here. Yeah. We want to resell color different decos of the exact same toys, and it results in a badly written episode by a good writer. And, oh, we have a lost episode that's that's gone, but, oh, I was so angry. When good writers write bad episodes. Yeah. You know, it happens. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. Yeah. 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 And, you know, this episode, it, 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 it accomplishes what it meant to do. Yeah. It would maybe not feel so out of place if it had been a 26-episode season and not a 13-episode season. Yes, yeah. that is yeah. a big thing. I mean, you know, there were all sorts of goofy episodes like this in the first season, and that was fine because they had more episodes than they knew what to do with. Yeah. yeah. But but this wasn't I mean, as goofy as, like, the second part of uh, Feral Scream. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it did have about as much of uh, the same amount of Cheetor being an idiot. Well, yes. Yeah. yeah. We are back to... Cheetor being an idiot as a plot focus. Yes. And, uh, you know, I think that should about do it for Go With The Flow and or Dark Glass. So uh, until next time, you can find us all over the Internet. We are on Tumblr at stasispod.tumblr.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash stasispod. And we're on uh, Twitter at at stasispod. And our RSS feed is hosted on iaconunderground.net. And uh, you can also find us on iTunes, and coming soon, probably by the time you hear this episode, we'll be on Google Play. Yes, assuming that your Google Play actually shows the the podcast option, which mine does not yet, and it makes me very sad because I am completely enslaved by everything Google, and they should give me things in return. I mean, I generally am, but I'm totally on board with Pocket Casts for all my podcasting needs. True. I like Pocket Casts, and you can find us on there just through a simple search. I just like MP3s. I don't use them. (laughs) That's because you are, you're like one step above Chak and Una here. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't have a smartphone. I just have a You're listening to podcasts on a rock tied to a block of wood. Yeah, yeah. Which runs Winamp quite effectively still, so I mean. Yes. It does. Yeah. You just have to hook up the uh, the, the cans with uh, string on them. Yeah, and and hopefully this is recorded fine and everything will be good in editing and hopefully I didn't catch too many of my coughs because I think that happened last episode. Whoops. Hey, technology. New recording program, technical difficulties. uh... It happens. So please join us next time when we cross the Rubicon with Crossing the Rubicon. Oh, oh, I remember reading that uh, book. That was a good one. Yeah, you know, I think it's about uh, Unicron's cousin, Rubicon. (laughs) I remember the Jeep Rubicon. Oh yeah, uh, Swindle turned into one. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it was. Oh, it was a it's a treat. It's written by DC Fontana. Yes. <gasps> yes. She wrote that uh, one episode of Star Trek where Spock got high on spores and smacked Kirk around. <laughs> okay. No. No. Uh... <laughs> it's also the episode in which uh, Leonard Nemo is menaced off-screen by Charles Bronson. <laughs> oh. Because I guess his love interest in that episode was played by Bronson's wife. Oh. So he was kind of lurking around, making sure that uh, that green-blooded son of a bitch didn't get too handsy. Yeah. <laughs> because it turns out Charles Bronson kind of didn't act. <laughs> he just really he was. He was just Charles Bronson. <laughs> so, wait. So, so you're telling me that, that the next episode won't involve Zentradi and Lin-Min May and... 
Invid and things. Uh, Wait, is, is Jack McKinney the same person as DC Fontana? No, I don't think so. Jack McKinney is actually two different people who wrote <gasps> the Robotech books. Oh, it's so. one of those people, Carl Masick. However, J. Michael Bingham is DC Fontana. Well, I mean, I, I guess it makes sense that two people would combine into one person to write Robotech, because Robotech was three shows combined into one show. Yeah, so yes. it makes sense. <laughs> this is the best digression. Note to self, make joke about short-lived AMC series Rubicon. <laughs> well, it's, it's like, uh, well, oh, crossing the Rubicon, is, is that an Alexander the Great or something? Uh, Caesar, Julius Caesar. Caesar, oh, okay, I knew it was an Emperor or something. I'll explain this again in the episode, but there was, uh, I mean, I, I guess I probably shouldn't explain it now because we're still recording. So until uh, until next time, I'm Rob. I'm Jen. I'm Alex. And I'm David, who's thinking about old books I read in college, or high school. No, I didn't. So excited when he showed up at the end of that episode. Look up a guy named Mark Henry. That sounds like a common name. Okay, it seems fine. He's a professional, but there he's also a one-time legitimate holder of the record of world's strongest man. Oh, that 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 guy is kingpin-sized. <laughs> there might be one small technicality. Well, uh-huh. at least with with call note, like when I would mute myself, it wouldn't record me. Like when I clear my throat. Uh-huh. Oh. I think it did record me when it cleared my throat, so I might have to touch with audio and be more careful from now on. Whoops. Uh, well, I mean, that's not bad, though. That's if, if it didn't, it'd be better that it didn't. If it, you know, at least it didn't re- not record you at all. No, you might but, have but, to switch to a hardware mute switch instead of the Skype mute switch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there is a hardware mute switch on my headphones, but it makes a loud click. Oh. Mm. And I'm not sure if that would actually work. I'll, I'll just have to. Like, Taking the headphones off when I clear my throat because it's kind of loud sometimes. (laughs) Let me go to the bathroom. Yes. Please please go on. You ready? Yes. Yes. Welcome to Stasis Pod, the technical difficulties podcast. Yes. Uh...